you should be a monster. Because everyone says, well, you should be harmless. You don't want to be too aggressive. You don't want to be too assertive. You want to take a back seat. No. You should be a monster. And then you should learn how to control. 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 Everybody, thanks for joining us again as we crack open another episode of the Undisclosed Agents podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Carlos. Carlos has got a lot of things going on for him. He's a family man. He's an ex-professional baseball player. He's a professional grappler. He's an IBJJF world champion, ex-gym owner, and decided to turn into a professional firefighter at the age of 37. We're going to sit down and talk to Carlos about his journey prior to the fire service. So uh, tell us who you are. Tell us about yourself and your journey that brought you here today. Well, what brought me here today, well, was a big part of you guys, but, um, no, I'm a father, I'm a husband. I came from a background of, of athletics sports. I played baseball, owned my own business for 10, 11 years and got to a point in my life that not necessarily that it wasn't doing anything for me owning the gym, but it was, uh, uh I failed to mention my dad was a cop for a long time, LA County Sheriff. RPD. He put in a lot of time as a first responder. And, uh, funny enough, he always used to tell me, you know, don't ever be a cop, be a firefighter. Everyone hates cops. Everyone loves firefighters. And, uh, I didn't take it to heart until later on. And, um, when I say you guys brought me here, you know, you guys have been good buddies of mine for a while. And yeah, once I got to that point, I think you guys kind of noticed it and started encouraging me to, uh, get on with the fire department and do what I had to do to, to go that route. And, um, that's really what brought me here today was you guys helped me out, see, see my way. And then yeah, getting through the grind of being a 38 year old in the Academy. So, yep. That's why I'm here today. <laughs> right on. So, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you had a background in, in sports. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your athletic career? Um, I played division one baseball at the university of Nevada, played there for four years. Um, then I went on, played minor league baseball professionally, um, didn't make it as far as I'd like, obviously, otherwise I wouldn't be sitting here with you guys cause I'd be rich somewhere, but, uh, um, you know, all past, all past are different. So I didn't make it through the minor league system. That's cool that you wouldn't be friends with us if you're rich. Well, if I was rich, I wouldn't even know you guys, you guys wouldn't be on my level, but, um, but now that we're all on the low level, <laughs> we can stay here together. But, uh, no, anyways, um, after baseball, that led me into a job in the fitness industry. And so, I got in the fitness industry in San Diego in 2010 and came back to Reno where I'm from. And in 2011-ish, I opened my own gym with a, a buddy of mine. And we ran that for the last 11 years from 2000, whatever, 10, 11 to 21-ish. Because it overlapped the academy, actually, and then my first year on the on the line. So um, that's that's the athletic background. Um, like you guys, I'm sure you guys have talked about in the past, I rolled jujitsu also on my time off. I compete. Um, probably the toughest guy in Northern Nevada, I would say, but, uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Without a yeah. question. I mean, yeah. there's one Cody, Cody's the only guy tougher, but other than that, yeah, pretty much me. No, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of live the, the, the active lifestyle for sure. And like I said, I'm a dad of three, so on the go constantly, but, um, but yeah, that's a little bit about my athletic background that, that brought me into this. One of the things that, uh, always, um, 
kind of struck me about you is your work ethic. Ever since I met you, we've known each other shit probably 15 years now, almost. And uh, started out when back at fast, right when we were you were running the gym back there and uh, hanging out together. And fast was one of those places that was kind of like a mecca for for Reno and had a lot of people circulating around that. It was the first place where I, as you know, as you mentioned, a lower level person, um, ran across like, high lower level, <laughs> high lower level. level. Thank you. <laughs> it was, it was an upper middle class, yeah, upper, human. Yeah, upper yeah. lower level. It, it was the first place I ran across on a daily basis where you'd run across professional athletes, right? Not just you and JJ, the guys running the place who are professional athletes, but you would come in there on, on any given day, you know, you run into Kevin or you run into Jimenez or you'd run into whoever, you know, pick your professional athlete. And it was something that showed the high level of what was going on there. And it made that place attractive, not just because, ooh, you can see famous athletes. It was, ooh, famous athletes are training here. So as I got to know you a little bit better, when I started training there, um, obviously at a lower level. Uh, when I started training there, Obviously. getting to know you guys, uh, your work ethic was second to none. You watch trainers. Um, we've all been in gyms and been around training facilities our whole lives. And you watch certain people train. You watch the way certain people do things, not only themselves while they train, but while they train their clients and how they take that on. It was always something that was really impressive with you was your work ethic and what you put into it. And I think that's how we kind of came together and bonded was we had a common thread there. We didn't know how strong that would be down the road, but I think that's kind of what started it out for me with you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, going back into, uh, where we started, you know, with my bio, a lot of you listeners won't hear or won't see the bio that I wrote up, but I put a coach at heart, you know, and once I got into the fitness industry, trying to get athletes to where I always wanted to go. It was a passion that, that came up that I never knew I had. And so once I get these professional athletes, these high school athletes that all wanted to be in that position, yeah, it just brought out a different level in myself that, you know, wanted to push and do everything I could to get them to where they wanted to go. Um, yeah. And then you guys know, I mean, running your own business, I was, I was there from 4am to 6pm most nights and grinding, grinding, grinding with my partner. I'm super OCD like you both are. And so if it wasn't done my way, it wasn't necessarily done right, you know, and I apologize to my partner for that, but, uh, we worked out great together and, and yeah, I think I, I know for a fact, because you guys have both told me that that was the reason why you put, you guys put your names on the line for me. Once we got to that point, no, I appreciate it. You know, and that's for all of you who have kids out there, all of you who are in the service. I mean, that's something that, you know, the work ethic, the leading by example is what I, what I strive to be and what I strive to do every day. So no, it's good to be noticed. Yeah, it, it's definitely noticed, uh, not only from us, but everybody that you work with and stuff. You're definitely out working yesterday, every day, you know, <laughs> so try and try and <clears throat> one of the, uh, the other things that I, that I noticed that I really liked about you, one of the character traits about you that I picked up on, we all started in jujitsu together, right? We all started rolling jujitsu and obviously it's been a huge part of my life and a huge part of both of your lives as well. But when we started together, uh, we were <clears throat> at a different gym and things were not, uh, things were not the way we wanted them to be there. We had Jerry as our coach and shout out Jerry Hallert, Kamino Apparel, Kamino Gym, <laughs> Yamasa. Shout out Jerry Hallert. Love you, brother. Um, it wasn't the way we wanted it to be, right? It certainly, we were kind of young in the game, but it was definitely not the way Jerry wanted it to be. So he wanted to open his own gym. He wanted to do his own thing. And the partnership was born between... Kamainu Jiu-Jitsu and Fast and you guys opened up 
some rollout mats in the corner that was yep. the very first Komino gym for all of you people that are Komino team members that may may or may not listen to this this started out in the corner of a gym with some rollout mats but for you and JJ to open the doors for that possibility to come through and to partner up with that to to give us a home give us a place to be I thought you know the generosity and the the team the teammate in you showed and I thought that was just another value add another character trait that I put in my mind and, you know, in forming my opinion of, of who you were as a man. So that was something else that struck me. You know, you get, you, you guys are giving me a great platform to address something, you know, Jerry Hollard, I, I hope you're listening to this. You know, I've never gotten a thank you for starting Cominu in our facility. <laughs> I love you, but you know, for all you Cominu guys out there, talk about original, original Cominu athletes, the, the, well, I don't know why Michael wasn't. He should have been there with us from the very beginning. Yeah, I was there for one day until right, Clint landed day, on top of me. <laughs> there for one day, and then 260 pounds landed on top of you. But uh, but no, it was uh, you know Jerry Hollard, awesome guy. He's been our coach for a long time. Appreciate him. He's a he's a like we said a best friend of ours. And and yeah, I'm one of those guys that similar to you both that if you're in that tight circle like Jerry is, like you both are, if you're in that tight circle you know, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for anyone in that circle, you know? And so that's where I think I fit in really well into the fire service, into that brotherhood. Um, sometimes I feel like it, it, it falls by the wayside too much in the service today. But, uh, you know, I think that, that, that all that kind of stuff, you know, loyalty to each other, loyalty to your friends, the people who would do for you, you would do for them, you know, and that's a big part of same thing, how I try to teach my kids, how I, how to try to lead by example and, and yeah, every day doing it every day. Yep. Family, 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 family. <laughs> so <clears throat> things, uh, things went along at fast. You're there for about 11 years running that business. And, uh, we know running a business is not easy. Um, you were making ends meet, paying the bills with your own private business. So the stress was a little bit more. I, I run my own business. Me and Mike run our own business, but we're definitely not paying the bills with it. Yeah, it, let's be honest. You run our business. I'm just <laughs> just a partner. We all run the business, but we're not paying our bills with it. So the stress upon your shoulders to do that, I, I can't even imagine what that's like. So that went on, you know, for 11 years, obviously successful, had a huge name. Um, you and JJ decided to go separate ways and had separate goals and obviously parted ways amicably, which is great. Um, but you decided to make the transition. You decided to move on to something else. Tell us about the beginning of that kind of thought of a transition and the road you took until the day, you know, you got the call. Yeah. I mean, first, yeah. Shout out JJ. He was a great partner for 11 years, always been a good buddy. And uh, yeah, we parted ways because we just, we just weren't getting out of it. What either one of us wanted to get out of it at the time. And so it was one of the hardest things literally that I've ever done was go from being my own boss to, to running the show from, you know, 24 hours a day, I did whatever I wanted. You know, if I wanted to work, I work, if I didn't, I didn't, you know, like you said, I was making just enough to pay the bills, but not enough to live the life that I wanted to live. I had to marry somebody to do that. So don't worry about, it. um, but, uh, you know, the transition was extremely difficult because you guys were pretty honest with me about what it entailed and what I would need to do. And, you know, thinking about going back to school and, you know, taking tests again, and then being on the grind with people yelling at you, all that kind of stuff. Like it was very difficult mentally to put myself in a position to where I was ready to do that. And, 
you know, it, it all happened, you know, shout out Austin Leck, another one of our great friends who, who is one of the guys responsible for me being here. Um, Chief Baker, another one while we're on the topic, but, uh, we were in Mexico and I had almost given up honestly on the fire service because I had applied some places and hadn't, hadn't hired yet. And I was in that, in that limbo of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to be a medic. I don't want to go to, uh, an extra year and a half of school to, to put myself on a certain level to get hired. And so and you're not an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be a fireman <laughs> Yeah, or a nerd. And so, uh, well, I appreciate that guys. Thanks. But, um, so I was in that mode where I was like, you know, this isn't going to happen. You know, this isn't going to happen. Get, get back comfortable with training people. And we were on vacation and this was, shoot, I want to say it was like the end of January, something like that. And we're in Mexico and, and Austin Lex says, Hey, Austin Lex says, Hey, uh, my chief is here. You know, let's go meet my chief. And I haven't been on vacation in five years. I'm laying in this, you know, little lawn chair pool that we have. And I'm like, I literally told him, I'm like, no, like, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. And he's like, you sure? He took off down the road and called me and he called me, walked down the beach, called me. He's like, Hey, you need to come down here, man. And I was like, what, why? You know, he said, just come down here and meet chief. And this was chief Baker who I'm talking about. And I went down there, had some drinks with chief, you know, talked to him about everything. And it was honestly the best thing that I had ever done because we got back from just coincidentally, uh, the Sunday night before I was supposed to be back, I get an email from saying, Hey, you've been invited to test, you know, take the written test for fire department. And from there, I got back on Sunday night at 10 PM, something like that. And went and took the test the next morning and test went well, you know, and then moved down the line in terms of the hiring process goes. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's how it started. I had, I had borderline given up because of the fact that, yeah, I just didn't think I had what it took for one to, to go to medic school and all those things. But yeah, I mean, I got lucky, got hired at a good time and knew the right people. You hear that, Scott? You finally did something good for somebody. Is that his name, Scott? I thought his first name was Chief. No, it is not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you got, you went through the process. Uh, I remember when it started, right? T uh, hang on a second. Um, so how'd you go through EMT school? Like how did, how'd you oh, navigate all that? Like, talk about that, huh? Like, just, you know, you decided that you wanted to get in the fire service talking to us and we kind of helped you down the path, but you had to take some steps. Yeah. So let's, hopefully I get my years right here, but the end of 2019, um, Jesse hit me up and said, Hey, I think we're going to get this grant, this grant to hire however many new firefighters. And he basically said, so get signed up for class like now. And we both, we all know a guy, Daryl Rasner. He had gone to this, uh, basically fast track EMT school in Arizona in Phoenix, Arizona, 15 days, 8am to 8pm, go through everything like normal, just in a matter of 15 days, and then take your nat reg, all the same stuff you would normally do. I left my job for two weeks, left my family for two weeks, went out to Phoenix with another good buddy of mine who was a firefighter as well. And, uh, we knocked out this EMT school and it was, a, it was an insane grind going from ha not having taken a test in a decade to taking a test every day, taking a quiz every day for two weeks, being away from my family, studying nonstop, you know, and, and, and in a world that I had no idea about, I had no medical experience whatsoever before that. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was extremely difficult. I came back passing that reg on the first time somehow and, uh, and yeah, sealed that, that, you know portion of, of becoming a firefighter. And so then I guess that's where that, that gap is that 2020 to 2021, you know, took tests for multiple departments, went on ride alongs, 
kind of did everything I needed to do as a basic EMT and yeah, it just wasn't working out, you know? And so, uh, that's where I got kind of in the dumps about it and was thinking, okay, this isn't going to work out, but yeah, I got, got lucky, you know? Yeah. I got lucky. Now, um, <laughs> before you went to EMT school, you're like, Oh, but me, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you got done with that and you went, started going through when the, I remember <clears throat> when you got the call for the testing and we all went over and met at Austin's house, we did some pizza and we hung out and me and Eric and Austin sat there. Shout out Eric Wilson. He ended up getting picked up with another local department. He's crushing it too, doing a good job. Um, so we all sat down and talked about, you know, what this is going to really entail and what this is going to be. And over the years, Micah and I have had the the pleasure of being the guys that people have reached out to that are trying to break into the fire service. And we've kind of, I don't know, about made a, we haven't really made like a process for it, a formal process, but we definitely have a way that we sit down with people and give them the real deal and shoot people straight I try to give people the exact information that they're going to need to be successful on this path. We don't keep any secrets. And I sat there and I talked with you guys and it was very, it was convincing to me the way that you guys paid attention, the way that you looked at what I was saying and the information I was providing you, you obviously took it seriously and went from there. So that was one of the things for me watching that just in that kitchen, I was sold. I was like, this guy's going to do this and he's going to be good at this job. So that was one of the big turning points for me as far as our friendship going from we're buddies to we're going to be on the line together. And for me, that's a big deal. There's a lot of guys who tell you, oh, I want to be a fireman. You know, I want to go, I want to work for the fire service, dude. I want to do what you guys do. And you just know him kind of as a person. You're like, no, you don't. You know, you don't, you don't have what it takes or you don't have the, the dedication to do what this is, what is required of this job. And I tell people, and I'm very upfront with people. I can get you, I can probably get you in front of a chief, right? I can help you walk that path. I can't make the chief's decision for him, clearly. Um, but I can walk you down the, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I can walk you down the path to get there, you know? And if you're lucky enough to get in front of him, you know, it's kind of up to you and him at that point. Um, but there are some people where you just think, hey, this is, this is not going to be for you. You're not going to be able to complete this process. And it's hard to throw your hat in the arena for those people. Yeah. And it's super obvious. Like even, even you being on for a few years now, when you talk to people who want to get in, you can tell right away, like, Oh, right away. This is for you or it's not for you. Yeah. You could be outside of your probationary year and know right away that, Nope, you're not going to, uh, you're not going to make it here. Obviously at our department, there's, you know, more of a stigma attached to it in terms of being a little more roughneck and hard on each other. And so certain guys, you know, get right off the bat, but you know, with, with all that being said, this was a big part. And you guys know me, we were joking around about my last jujitsu fight about me being a head case, you know, the confidence, I mean, it's tough being good looking and athletic and all these things, you know, people think I'm going to be just <laughs> overly, about it. <laughs> people think I'm going to be overly confident. But when it, when it went from stepping to something that I know in the gym business and all that stuff to stepping to something that I had no idea about being the oldest guy in the Academy, having having guys that had experience in the academy and I had zero, zero, you know, the guys who didn't have fire experience, it was, Oh, but I'm a medic. I've been a medic forever long. And for me, it was like, Nope, 
got my EMT in two weeks and uh, haven't ever touched a hose or a Halligan or anything like that, you know? So, and it's funny cause I'm Mexican. Usually we touch a lot of hoses, but uh, you know, I, I, had, I had never done any of that stuff before. So the insecurities that went into me stepping foot on that fire ground for the fire Academy, it was a lot to overcome. And I had no idea until it was done, just the emotional drain it was on me. So yes, you could tell a lot about guys right away if they will or won't make it. Yeah. You you talked about being a family man and being married, having three kids and running your own business all the way pretty much through your probationary year. Uh, how, how were you able to balance everything with academy and family and business and all that meditation? <laughs> I mean, no, the, the business kind of, it, it, it fell apart in a way because we both started going our separate ways at the same time. And I had to take so much time off of the, just outside of the facility. And my partner had trouble covering, he did his best, but it's just, impo- it was impossible at the time with what he had going on. And so it was very, very difficult, you know, getting calls while at the Academy at lunchtime about something going on with the bank account or something going on with the client or something going on with, with whatever it may be. It was extremely difficult juggling both shoot. I mean, all the way until probably six months to where I was on the line, you know, we had the gym. And so that meant, you know, I do my two days on go right to training the next morning at four 30, you know, so there was really no rest for me at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a grind all the way through. Um, we still run a gym, but just out of our garage. Um, and yeah, it's just, but it's stress-free, you know, we train who we want, how we want out of our garage. We walk down the stairs at, you know, four twenty-five to train at four 30. So it works out for us, but Yeah. I mean, that was leading into the fire Academy is one of the toughest times. Everyone talks about tough times in their lives, you know, and, and this was one of the toughest mentally and emotionally for me to where I'm not one of those people that would ever admit, I felt like I was going to break, you know, but I was definitely bending more than I wanted to be at the time. So it was tough for sure. Especially being, being an adult number one. Yeah. And then family on top of that, you know, when you're in the Academy with a bunch of 20 somethings that, still live at home with mom and dad or never really had a job or never really, you know, don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or anything like that. You know, Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking Red Bulls at 5 30 PM when I leave the Academy, just so I could give my kids some attention and study when I get home, you know? And so, and I didn't really study, you know, Jesse, I was just telling a story about you'd come in and say, Hey, you got a 82 on the test. And I'm like, hell yeah, I got an 82. I pass. And he's looking at me like you idiot. Like you were the second lowest score in the class. I'm like, Hey, I pass, man. <laughs> like, like, let's just get through this. It was the only <laughs> part of the academy I was legitimately concerned about. I'm like, oh my god, this guy yep. got an 82. And then yep. I tell you, and you're like, fuck yeah, dude, I passed. And I'm like, no, 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 fuck I'm yeah. Not, I'm not here to congratulate you. You got an 82. You're like, yeah, skin like, miles. You're stoked. on the bubble, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my academy mates, two of them, were fighting for valedictorian or something like that. You know, so it was just like, hey, you know, I got to balance out things here. You know, we can't be best at everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, I was valedictorian as well. Anyway, there's an app for that. Hear ye, hear ye. Yeah. Oh man. So one of the things, just to close out on the on the helping people on this path, it's one thing when somebody calls, right? And I've had this many times where somebody calls and says, "Hey, Jess, my my son, my daughter, you know, whoever's looking to get into the fire service, can you can you talk to them? Can you try and?" help them out, help them down the path. hundred percent. Let me help you out. And I do all the same things for them. I give them the answers to the test. I give them the cheat code. I give them the path, you know, cause it's really up to you in the end. If I can get you there, it's up to you after that, but that's the point. And I tell people, 
and I'm pretty sure I went over this with you. We're, we're tight. We're thick as thieves, right? We train every day together. We roll jujitsu together. If you cross this line and come to this profession with me, you can ruin our friendship with it. If you come over here and you turn into a payday four day slapdick and you are one of these people at this job that doesn't put the time and effort into it to be amazing, you will ruin our friendship because I cannot, I cannot separate once you cross this line. I have plenty of friends who are not firemen who are not involved in this lifestyle who could not be in this lifestyle that I'm 100% okay with that because they don't, they don't choose to be in this lifestyle. But once you make that choice, you have to be all in. And that was one of the things you did when you got here in Austin as well. And, and everybody that I've helped along the way, thankfully has done that. Nobody's put me in that position. Yeah. Thank, thank goodness for that. You know, be, uh, I feel the exact same way. Um, I, I can be friends with anybody, you know, you, any walk of life, I'll be friends with you. But if you choose to come, come along this ride, I'm going to hold you at a completely different standard. And that will affect our personal relationship. So, I mean, and that, you know, you guys know me pretty well to where, you know, I don't have a ton of good friends and I need people in my life who are going to tell me how it is. I, I can't imagine why. Right, who are going to tell me how it is. And both of you obviously would never, would never not bring it to my attention if I was doing something wrong or doing something that you didn't agree with or was just outside of my character. But yeah, I mean, honestly, that drove me through. My, up until this point, you know, when somebody puts their name on the line for you, that's something my dad always used to talk about was, you know, if somebody's going to put their name on the line for you, it, you can never let that person down, you know, otherwise for one, it's never going to happen again. But for two, it's just a character issue. You know, you guys both put your names on the line for me, Leck, you know, Chief Baker and every day doing things. Everyone treated me great because I knew you guys for one, but I didn't want that to be the only reason why you know, I was treated a certain way. And so the work ethic came into play and my, my vision looking at the probe year and moving forward was just that, you know what, even if I'm not the greatest at doing certain tasks, my work ethic will never be in question and I will get better at those eventually. You know, that was always my outlook on it. It was never, okay, cool. I'm done with my probe year. I'm going to just hang out, you know, not do much. And you guys know, I mean, I have, I'm a, I'm a big two day guy. I don't work a ton of overtime, but I think you both know that when I go home, I'm still watching videos. I'm still work. I'm still looking at, you know, uh, PowerPoints that I get sent all these things. So it's never, I, I need to work more. We'll throw that out there. Everyone who's listening, captain Boggs, I'm sure you're rolling over in your chair right now talking shit about me, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it never stops for me just because I have so much to learn and so much to go over and same thing, you know, when that fire comes, that big fire comes and I'm on the engine or I'm the one pulling lines or I'm the one that's got to get the grab all your guys' names are on my back in my mind because when it goes well, which I have no doubt in my mind that it'll go well, you guys will be proud saying like, we're glad we brought him on and it's never a fuck. Why did we get this guy this job? You know? So, so tell us about it. All right. We got through, you got the call. Chief called you. You got, you got into the Academy. I turned into from your friends and some huge dick. We got you through the Academy uh, with your 82% on your test. <laughs> anyway, you, pass, hit, pass. So you, you hit the line. So how'd it go? Tell me about being a 38 year old proby. Well, let's talk about, so you brought up, this was something that hit me like a ton of bricks. Cause I, I, I didn't know it was this important to me. Um, I made it through, excuse me. I made it through 
um, the written test and probably got just high enough to get through. And so I had already taken my CPAT, the physical portion of it elsewhere. So I didn't have to do, I didn't have to do the department one, made it to interviewing. And as you guys know, I'm pretty good at talking to people. So they, I made it through the interviews with, with great scores throughout. And, uh, and yeah, I'm sitting at home one night and I get a call phone number and it's, it's, uh, the chief. And at that point in time, he offered me the job, you know, and it's, it's so strange the way they offer you a job. It's almost like a, you know, a professional athlete to where they were going to send you the contract. And if you like it, you know, you can accept it. And I don't, I never even read the contract, you know, cause it, it, it was such a big deal. And I got off the phone and my wife's looking at me and she's like, well, what, what happened? And I just broke down, just started crying. And if you, once again, if you know me, like I'm not a big crier, yeah, we, we can cut that out. I think. And so, uh, and, and I just, yeah, broke down and she was, she was so confused. She was like, she just hugged me and was, I'm like, I didn't know it was this, this big of a deal to me, you know? And at that point when it became real, cause up until that point, it was still like, this isn't really going to happen. You know, I'm not going to pass this test or I'm not going to get to that point. And then when that call went through, it was like, shit, okay, it's, it's, it's go time. You know, life's going to change. And luckily I have a wife that was 100% on board with, with the support and everything. And she had my back through, through every single day and uh, yeah, hit the Academy, got to the, the Academy was, you want to talk about the Academy or you want to go straight to the line? A quick shout out to all those wives out there that got our backs. Yeah, right. And our husbands. Yep. Hey, man. Damn right. This is your show. You want to talk about the academy? <laughs> Let it rip. The academy. The academy. Once again, you. I came in as as Jesse Horton. You know, Micah Horton's boy, and so luckily I was I was looked at as okay. This guy's probably got his shit together. You know, so everyone treated me pretty well. And then once again, once they saw that I was going to work my butt off, even if I sucked at something, I would get better. Um, I got tons of respect in the Academy. I ended up being, um, you know, one of the leaders in the Academy, you know, the guys voted me, you know, to, to, to do the speech at the end and all that stuff. And I was the oldest guy, most in shape guy, but oldest guy, <laughs> but uh, no, the Academy was literally, you know, five days a week. Uh, when I said I would drink a Red Bull or an energy drink, as soon as I got done with the Academy, that was 100% the truth. I would be so tired. It took me an hour and a half to get home every night, get home six, six thirty had drinking a Red Bull, give my kids some attention and then go right to studying, you know? So it was a grind. And when that was done, you guys, you guys are very honest with me about how things were going to go, but you still never know that, okay, you think, Oh, the Academy's done. Awesome. You know what I mean? I'm going to go to the line and I'm going to be a fireman. Well, it wasn't necessarily like that. You know, it, it was, it became more of a grind in my opinion. Yeah. You're going to go to the line and be a janitor. Yeah. I was a, I was a glorified janitor for, for a year. Um, and, and that's just what comes to the territory, you know, no complaints, you know, there's, I, if, if I could go back, I might do things a tiny bit different, but yeah, once again, I felt like I had all these names on my back and names on my shoulders to where it was like, you know what, if I come out of this probe a year and all anyone takes from this is that Los works his ass off. Los will do whatever we tell him to do, whether it's clean a toilet or, you know, load a hose, whatever it was. That was the, that was the intention was to come out of the Academy or excuse me, come out of that first year and, and just have that, have that, uh, have that label as a hard worker. So being on the line that first year, even to this day, I still have anxiety when I go to work, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was the, the first year was pressure packed for me for sure. Is that anxiety induced because the tell staff situation with the BCs or no? 
Oh well, they seem God. to never really have it right. Here we you go. Know? Here we <laughs> fucking go, people. <laughs> it only took three episodes to get here, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, coming into the fire service, I was late in the game, too. I wasn't quite 38. I was 35. But coming in and having, you know, you got some, some junior in life people that are now your senior in life firefighters. It's, uh, it's definitely a step into the humble zone, right? You got to humble yourself. You got to understand that there is a hierarchy here and you have to also understand that they might be in their twenties, but they've been doing it longer than you. So they've got something to teach you and something to show you. And once you can make that transition and kind of understand that there is something to be said from these guys and something to learn from these guys, you can really, you can really blossom. You can really turn in, turn it into something good. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we keep saying the, the, 38 year old probe, you know, oldest guy in the academy. Like, that's a bad thing. Uh, I can assure you, I went through my first academy at 18 years old. And the academy that I went through for our current department at, I was 20 years old by about a month. <laughs> and uh, it was, I had my own challenges with that. So, yeah, I, I mean, the, the academy at 38, it, I, you guys know me, I was in pretty good shape. The probationary year, I had heard all the horror stories. As I said, everyone was pretty cool to me, but you know, I think I called you Jesse after like the first month and I was like having a hard time. And I just said, you know, this is the fakest tough guy profession that I've ever been a part of and no diss to the fire service whatsoever. But well, all I meant was, you know, we come from a background where we've been around roughnecks and we've been around guys that fight for a living and beat people up for fun and guys that would beat us up, you know, and coming to the fire service, you know, there's the hierarchy that exists. And so you're right. You have a, a 30 year old who has been in the fire service since they were 18 years old, you know, and now all of a sudden they're your boss and they're the end all be all. And they say things and do things. And you look at them in the eyes and you're just like, you motherfucker. Like if we were anywhere else, you know, and, and that, that, you know, it was fine. You know, I'm, if I'm, I was still my own boss. <laughs> yeah. Right. If I was still my own boss, but, uh, but it, it, it came, it came and went cause it, those types of situations I was rarely in, but, but yeah, they definitely exist. There's definitely guys that like to just hear themselves talk and there's definitely guys who abuse their power in a, in a way, but no, it's all good. I, I like all the guys that I work with, you know, and they're all, they're all good guys and good gals in some, in some instances, but, uh, but yeah, it, the being a 38 year old wasn't the issue is it's almost the, the life the, the life experience that you have that hurts you a little bit because you know how life is outside of the fire service. And it's not like that inside, you know, the hierarchy changes the whole world. You could never get like the perfect blend, right? You can get a kid who's 20 years old, comes through, you know, peak physical condition, just a, a specimen, right? But he's 20 years old. He has no clue how life works. He has no idea about you know, even who he is or who she is, you know, they're so young. You truly don't know who you are at that point in life. You, we can teach them everything and we can turn them into stud firefighters, right? As we've seen multiple times. Um, but they still just lack that life experience. But then you get the older cats that come in and you, you can do the same thing. You can turn them into studs and they have the life experience that goes along with it, and they have the ability to process things a little differently from life experience, but now you only get 10 or 15 years out of them. Right. So, yeah, yeah. Now, now they got an expiration date. They got a sell by date. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, 
the the experience for me is just it's really with dealing with people. You know, I'm able to, you know, take everyone's personalities for what they are. If I would have come on the fire service when I was 23 or 24, I don't know if I would have make it made it more because of my own my own temper, my own issues with my my own security and things like that, and being talked down to. So who knows it. I'm not a, I'm not one of the big, everything happens for a reason type of people. You know what I mean? I think you shape the way your future is going to be and how you work and the way you act is going to be what shapes your future. Not necessarily it's out in the stars for us already decided. So, you know, things, things happen this way and I wouldn't change it for the world at this point in time. Yeah. Big wish it, want it, do it type guy. <laughs> not, not a big wish it, <laughs> wish it at all. Nope. Shout out to people with faith like Gary though. Good for you, Gary. <laughs> so you got in. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> you got in. It's pro year, man. Tell us about what was your, what was your first, like with no experience coming in, you know, you had no fire experience. You had no EMS experience. You had a two week crash course for your EMT. What was the first hot call or thing that you went on that was kind of eye opening that you went, Holy shit. This is, this is fucking for real now. Shit. My second day, my second day on the line, you know, uh, shout out captain Mason, who is chief Mason now, but, um, he, he had told me, he said, Hey, you know what? Chances are we won't get nothing crazy, but, uh, you know, just follow me around, make sure you're right by my side. So we, I can tell you what we're doing. And then, uh, yeah, just know where everything's at in the engine and we'll go from there. Second day traffic accident, three car accident up a spooner. Um, and it was, it was bad. you know, I remember pulling up and thinking, this is really happening. And, and that didn't stop the entire time I'm walking up with, with my captain and he looks at me and says, Hey, go get the cutters and the spreaders. And I run back thinking so proud of myself that I just knew where the tools were at. And so I bring them up and I'm carrying them. I put them down. Like I'm in the Academy. And he says, what the fuck are you doing? Pick those up and get to work. And I just thought to myself, I've never even loaded this Sawzall with a blade before. It was always loaded for me in the Academy, you know, so I had to do certain silly things on the fly and luckily got it loaded and, uh, and went right to work. And so I'm cutting, I'm cutting this post on this car and ladies bleeding out of her head right next to me a foot away. And I looked at her and I can still remember the feeling I had to where all I could think was, this is, this is really happening right now. You know, this is really, really going on. And it was a, it was a strange, I was happy that I was handling it well. But at the same time, you ever look at yourself and be like, shouldn't that have affected me a little bit more? Cause the, it didn't at all, you know, it didn't at all. I didn't think, you know, it, it was more just the, the situation that affected me in a good way because it was, you know, got to work, did what I was needed to do. And, but that was crazy, crazy because I mean, chief, you were there, you were, you were, uh, you know, directing the, the helicopters to come in and directing traffic and all sorts of stuff, people filming us. And it was a crazy incident. It, from what I understand, it's one of the crazier accidents that have gone on in the last however many years. And I was, sounds bad, but lucky enough to be a part of it to get that experience. But yeah, it was uh, nuts. Yeah. Two things on that. It's okay to be okay. Everybody <laughs> doesn't have to get all messed up when we go do our job. It's okay. It's all right to be okay. Shout out Boyer and peer support. Yeah. Boyer man. And uh, yeah, I was icy on that. Um, it was a, a moving truck, like a larger U-Haul into uh like t-boned into a, a pickup truck that smashed it into a light standard and had it all pinned together and we were trying to get a wrecker there to pull the moving truck off the pickup truck so it, we had no real access on driver or passenger side everything came through the top and through the back it was it was a very in-depth extrication and and cap 
was up there, you know, helping with patient care and helping, you know, remove this roof. And I had to, he had me jump in between all three of the cars and start cutting. And honestly, Jesse was going through my mind the entire time because all I could think of was don't let yourself get in between the tool and the car. Don't let yourself get in, but I had nowhere to go. So I'm looking at that, Cap. That's, that's an Academy rule, yeah, right? I'm looking at Cap like, okay, should I stop? And he's just looking at me, waiting for me to finish, you know, and they damn near pinched me into the car. But right then it was like, okay, this is, this is real world stuff. You know, if I can, if I can avoid that, great. But in this instance, it was, it was a pretty nutty yeah, when situation you're, for when me. You're standing on the hood of one car yeah. and uh, up against the grill of uh, another and, We had a, we had a pretty nasty car accident fire one time together and you saw me break a couple rules every now and then you got to do that. Do you want to talk about that or no? No, I do not. Okay. (laughs) No, no, I do Uh, Jesse's actually never broke a rule. Yeah. Statute of limitations still out on that one. (laughs) Uh, I, I can remember that, that call very well. And, uh, uh, you know, like proud dad, (laughs) I remember looking around and, uh, your, your eyes were pretty big. But you were doing all the right things. You're, you're taking orders well. You're, you know, working the tools well. You did a really good job. So. Yeah, there, there's, the, the, we've been on a couple, of, obviously, you, you are my BC, which I'm very thankful for. But there's been a couple of calls to where, you remember that one where I was, that fire reignited in that house from a previous structure fire. And I was in there maneuvering the damn, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. maneuvering the damn uh, hose line by myself. And all I hear Five is chief saying, yeah. standing there holding <laughs> hooks. motherfucker's fr- going to help out Madrid or are you just going to watch him do it the whole time? You know? So no, it's, it's, it's always good to have you on there, but yeah, that was a, that was a first, um, fire related situation that I had. Um, medicine wise, every single one that's somewhat serious was pretty crazy to me at first, you know, whether it was a cardiac arrest, a damn asthma attack, or, you know, uh, uh, you know, the one that pops out is a little, little one-year-old pulled up boiling pot of water on herself and completely skinned her chest and, and so on, so on and so forth. And that yeah. was just one that I was like, having kids, you know, it's always, it's tough not to relate like, wow, I have a two-year-old, you know, and, and I can't imagine them going through that. And so that was the biggest one that really jumps out for me. Luckily I haven't had any more than that, you know, with, with, you know, especially with kids, but, uh, but yeah, everyone, even to this point is, is I learn every single medical call we get. So you talked about it and, and, uh, Micah dovetailed into that. It's okay to be okay. So we go on these calls, right. And I think one of the most underrated uh, attributes from firemen or paramedics, no matter if we're on an EMS or a fire call or an extrication, whatever it is, one of the most underrated attributes in our job is compartmentalization. I'll never forget before my time, before I was in the fire service, my brother obviously got in long before I did. And I would ask him, you know, cause everybody doesn't know they just, you don't want to know about the gnarliest call you've ever been on and all the scary shit you've ever seen. Cause that's a good story, right? It's great. But before you go on, you told me a long time ago, don't talk to people about what we do if they don't do what we do, because they'll never understand. And you're so right. We could tell people all day long. Yeah, it was crazy. And this and that. And they're just looking at us like, yeah, it sounds, sounds pretty cool. You know, they have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I would ask, you know, my brother, I'd be like, Oh dude, how do you deal with it when you get there and somebody's dead or you see a, somebody, you know, it's fucked up in a car accident or whatever which is looking back, dumb question to ask people, but whatever. I wanted to know. And he told me, he's like, it's a movie, right? You get out and it's a movie scene. You're, it's not real. You're, you have a job to do. You have a role to play. That's how he was relating it to being a movie. You have a role to play no matter what's going on around you, 
no matter what the circumstances, you have a job to do and a role to play, and you cannot let the circumstances affect your ability to perform your role and perform your tasks. So that compartmentalization while on scene, regardless of what happens afterwards, the composure that you must maintain to be a professional is one of the most underrated attributes, I think. Chief, you said it, uh, and you said it about uh, captain, uh, captain of ours, a good friend of ours, Travis Boggs. You know, he, you said he's a get shit doneer, you know, and, and that stuck with me because, you know, he, he comes off very laid back, very low key, but come in extreme situation, you want him on your team. And so exactly what you just said, Jesse, you know, that composure, it becomes a, it, people always ask me, you know, and it's always a funny question that people ask parents who are about to be new parents. And it's like, oh, are you ready? And it's like, you have no choice, motherfucker. Like you're about to have a kid in three months. Like you better be ready, you know, otherwise PS, you're, you're not ready, but yeah, you better yeah, get it right? done. <laughs> you know, unless you're, you're just a piece of shit and not ready to have kids, you know, when you, when you got them pregnant or whatever, but for the, it's the same thing to me. You know, if we're on a fire, if we're on a traffic accident, if we're on a cardiac arrest, I have no choice, but to go to work, you know, and I get tunnel vision a little bit, which I'm getting better at, you know, as I get more and more calls, but yeah, we have no choice. You know, we have, as we've all talked about, you know, if you, feel like you have a choice and you feel like you want to bury yourself in a hole, then you shouldn't be doing this job, you know, because it can get crazy. It can get nuts. And, and honestly, I've, I've handled it pretty well so far, but to me, there's no other choice. It's like, I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And so time to go to work, you know, type of thing. I hope someday somebody calls me a get shit dunner. Yeah. That, that's all I want on my cruise is get shit dunners. <clears throat> so, you briefly touched on it earlier, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. You said uh, the the brotherhood, and you put the air quotes up. The brotherhood. Let's hear about that. How's your experience been with... So coming from your background, right? This was a natural transition for you because your whole life was spent in a dugout or in a locker room. Mostly in the dugout, riding pine. It's not true at all for anyone who's listening. Not true at all. Google him. <laughs> Google me. So... <laughs> Make sure you Google Carlson a baseball player because only soccer players come up. So, <laughs> so you, the team aspect and the brotherhood aspect was something that was ingrained in you. And when we talked, when you were going down the path, you know, you talked about it frequently. I think I'll fit in well. I think I'll fit in well. And I know that was part of your interview process as well. I'm a team player. I'm team sports guy. I'm team oriented. I'm family oriented. What What is... Tell me about your experience with the brotherhood. Tell me your true experience with this. Um, you know, I, I, I use the air quotes and I'm going to get a little bit negative for the first time. You know me, I like to be positive, but as far as the brotherhood goes, it let me down a little bit, you know, it let me down because I came on thinking that everyone's going to care about everyone. Everyone loves everyone, Jackie Moon style, you know, and everyone wants to be, you know, supportive and everyone's there for each other. And yeah. I mean, potentially for, you know, 48 hours ish, if we're there, you know, you get the feeling of, yeah, these guys are there for me. But when it, when, when it was all said and done, you know, you see, you feel the, the people talking about each other and you feel the people jealous of each other and you feel the people not wanting everyone to win. And so when it comes to, you know, my circle of guys, if, if I got promoted, if I did something great, if, if Jesse, if Micah, if Austin, whoever, we're all rooting for each other. And that's what let me down is that, not everyone in the brotherhood is rooting for one another. You know, everyone, I get it's still a competition and guys want to promote and guys want to do great and guys want to get grabs. But, you know, we had an instance just a, a few weeks ago where one of my 
good friends who I came into the academy with did something great out of fire, just did something amazing. And I text him 100% proud, full of joy for him. It had nothing to do with, man, I wish I was that guy. Yeah, of course, we all wish we were that guy. But you know what? He was, and thank God he was there at that time, you know, and did what he did. And so all these people that were honest, I literally text every one of them and was like, hey, fucking proud of you, you know, proud of you for doing, you know, you were there for a reason. You helped those people, whatever it may have you. And, and yeah, that's what let me down was just the fact that I didn't feel, and I don't feel, um, that everyone cares about each other the way they should. I feel like, especially locally, I mean, we should talk about Northern Nevada, you know, we got different fire departments talking shit about each other. When you hear about, you know, you know, uh, 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 New York and all these big cities who everyone's welcoming, you're a firefighter. Oh, come in, break bread. And you know, it's not like that here, you know, and that's unfortunate, but that, that was my biggest takeaway from that. I think, uh, one of the things that has been for me and not to stay on the negative train, but we're talking about it. Let's be honest on this podcast. One of the negative things that I've seen is I mentioned it in a previous episode. It's like crabs in a pot, right? One crab starts to crawl out and make his way out or make, make his way up the chain and another crab follows him and there's a couple of crabs that are going to make it out, right? And then some asshole crab on the bottom grabs their leg and pulls them back down. You're going to be with me down here, down here in the muck and the mud and we're going to be dinner tonight. And it's something that you mentioned like there's a lot of rah-rah, right? A lot of rah-rah, hey, brotherhood this, brotherhood that. But when it comes down to the come down, there's a lot of self-preservation and a lot of... Oh no, like I, I meant I would like help you move. I didn't mean like I would speak up on your behalf if something went down, you know? So, and to everyone's credit, right? We're still humans. It's still life. That's kind of human behavior. It's hard when you, if you're not from a background of loyalty, if you're not from a, your upbringing has a lot to do with it, you know, and how you act professionally. It's not like you get into the fire service and then all of a sudden you're this different person who has people's backs and is a loyal person. So it's kind of who you were to start with, but yes, I mean, it is built up bigger than, than what it should be. And it's unfortunate because it should be bigger. Our job is not, we don't work at the bank. We don't go to the bank and work at the bank teller and we could, it, tomorrow could be it. Tomorrow could be your last day could be your last call, could be the last thing. And then everybody's going to get up there and talk about what a great guy you were and how they would have gone to the end of the earth for you. And when the truth was that they kind of shit on you, you know? Yeah. They wouldn't pay back a trade for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, to, 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 to go off of your point, you know, we talk about all the time and we're idiots. You know what I mean? We talk about, would he help me bury a body and these outlandish freaking things that we judge loyalty off of. But that's how we are, you know, and that's, if you're going to be a part of our, part of our, you know, circle and, 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 friend of ours, we expect back what we would be willing to give you. And when I tell my kids, like, how do you choose good friends? It's like, okay, Lucy, Sophie, any one of my kids, how, would she do for you what you would do for her? Well, no. Okay. Well, it's fine to have her as a friend, but don't consider her part of your family, you know? And that's what I came on thinking was that every one of these guys, girls was going to be a part of my family. And some of them have become 100%, you know, I would do anything for, and I feel like they would do anything for me, but outside of, of, a, of a very few, it's exactly what you said. You know what I mean? If, if, uh, we want to work together and somebody asked them about me or somebody, you know, it's like, you don't ever know. Yeah. I don't know what they would say about me. You know, I don't know how they feel about me. 
when even I, if I know what they'd say. Yeah. Even if, you know, as family, it's like, even if I was pissed off at Jesse pissed off, you know, whoever, and, and somebody asked me about him, I don't know. He's fucking awesome. You know, cause that's the way family rolls. Yeah. Know? He's a fucking dick, but yeah. he's still awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's funny. Jesse, you mentioned on a previous podcast, like you thought you were joining the Navy SEALs. You know? <laughs> it's like everyone was just going to be this tack driver and it's just not the case. And it's the same with the brotherhood. You know, I've, I've been in the fire service a long time and, uh, I've, uh, it, it's been amazing, you know, all in all, but, uh, I thought I was joining the Navy SEALs as well. And that wasn't quite the case. And, uh, I definitely have seen the brotherhood change over the years. Um, some for the better and some for the worse, you know, it just is what it is. That's part of evolution and life and human nature, like you said. And, uh, you know, not everybody's a great brother and not everybody's a great fireman. When, so just to touch back, like on my upbringing, Mike and I grew up in, you know, we were lower middle class. Our parents did not have a lot of money and our friends circle were lower class. Like we ran around with guys who lived in single wide trailers and the wrong side of town and didn't have a lot of money. And, you know, parents weren't around a lot, like whatever it just happened to be the crowd we ran around with as we got older and people would question, shout out to all you boys out there. You know who you are. You know who you are. Studs. Yeah. And dog. As, we, dog, as we got older, right. People would ask us, why are you running around with that guy? Cause we were, we were athletes, you know, we ran around with the popular kids too. Why are you running around with those guys? Right. Why are you hang out with that guy? Why do you go to that guy's house? You know, whatever the case may be. And it was, if you've seen Goodwill hunting, right. Remember when he says, he talks about the gorillas that he hangs out with. Well, any one of those guys would take a bat to your head because of loyalty. And he, you know, there's a big scene about that, but that's how it was. When we grew up, we had this, this overwhelming loyalty to one another to where it was expected. And it, then it was the currency in which we lived by. Yes. A hundred percent. That's an excellent way to put it. it was the currency in which we lived by and what we traded on. And as I got into the fire service, I was over the moon thinking about, Oh my gosh, it's going to be just like it was right. I'm going to go back to what it was growing up and I'm going to have this circle of friends who are loyal to a fault and would do anything in the world. And it's going to be amazing. And then as an adult, you know, you get into it and you go, fuck, this is a job, right? These guys are coming to work to get a paycheck and stuff. And don't get me wrong. There are those guys there that are loyal to a fault that would lay down and die for you and give up everything for you. Yeah. Would, would submarine their own career ambitions to do the right thing for their brothers. 100. And, and I've watched it. 100%. These guys are in the fire service. I am not talking about the fire service as a whole. I'm just talking about the, my experience, the expectation of that loyalty level was, I guess, my bad for, for thinking it was going to be there. That was my fault. Yeah, I don't think it's your bad. I think, I think that's the way it, it should be. My bus dog. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, you know, some things have happened at the department, you know, and, and things didn't go certain ways for certain people. And some of those people are extremely close to me. And I remember the first call I made was to my wife and I said, Hey, Brie, if this, 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 and this happens, I'm going to do this. You on board with that? And you guys know my wife, you know, and she was like, yep, 100%. Like you do what you feel you have to do. Free dog, dog. (laughs) And so, you know, when it, it, and that, and you're right, it is, we don't, we shouldn't have to apologize for that, but it is our fault for expecting 
that of other people, you know, cause some people just don't come from that same background, you know? So we can't expect that from everyone. I came on the same as you thinking, yeah, like this is how it's going to be. You know, we're all down for each other, whether we're at work or at home or whatever. And it's not like that at all, you know? So when, uh, when you said Micah, you know, you've seen guys submarine their career or would be willing to, it's like, I had guys ask me like, you'd really do that. And like, I almost looked at them like, yeah, you, you would like, I'm here because of this person, you know, like this is what, this is what people do or should do, you know? And so the brotherhood, you know, Th- to, this is what family does. Yeah. This is what family does, you know? And, and so when we talk about the brotherhood, it, I, I shouldn't say disappointed, but I, I expect more from it. And if any of my people are out there listening from our current department, you know, it's, yeah, we should all be down for each other in a way that you're down for, you're, you're down for your family. You know, it, it should be a family aspect to where if one rallies, we all rally. If one goes in, we all go in. It's not letting anyone go down that alley by themselves. And that's kind of what it's become, you yeah. know, in a way. Chuck so, and Larry, man, you throw one of us in jail, you're going to have to throw a whole lot of us in jail. As goofy as that movie is, it's got a, got a lot of good, a lot of good pieces in it. Second best firefighter movie ever. Shout right. out backdraft <laughs> documentary. Film. Kurt, if you're listening, great movie. <laughs> Ron Howard, great job. Yeah. Oh, so one of the, I'm sure they're listening by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. So we talked about, we're talking about the brotherhood and we're talking about the loyalty. And one of the things that you mentioned along the way was your why. So we talked about the why, right? So we talked about brotherhood. We talked about the loyalty. You wanted to talk about the why. Tell me, tell me your importance on that word and what that means. So this was really, you know, brought up because of the fire service. You know, I I can't lie and say, oh, I've always had this thought process and I've always, I may have lived it not knowingly what I was doing, you know, but once we got into the fire service, you know, we have a, you know, firefighter down training and, and, and we go through a lot of stuff that is hard to deal with in terms of deaths in the fire service and deaths of brothers and sisters, et cetera. And, you know, we talk a lot about, about why, and to explain what you mean, what I mean is basically what makes you be the person who you are on a day-to-day basis? What is going to drive you to do the extra training, to take the extra day, to go the extra mile for your brother or sister, to be a good person, you know, be a hardworking person for your family? What's your reason? Because if you can't name a reason, in my opinion, you're never going to get out of yourself what you can you know, because you're never going to let anyone down, but yourself. And a lot of times when you don't have anyone to let down, but, but yourself, you lose a little bit of that, you know, because for me, maybe I take on too much, but when I think about failing anything, it's like, okay, wife first and then kids and then Jesse and then Micah and then Austin. And there's a list of people that I think about if I fail on a job or if I fail doing anything that it would, it, it hurts me to think of people looking at those people and saying, Jesus Christ, like, what the hell's up with this guy? You know, like what happened with this guy? You know, you let him go to shit, whatever it was, but going back to the why like that, I have a why, you know, my why is all these important people in my life that when I, if, if something happened, you know, God forbid, and, and I wasn't here tomorrow, wasn't here. The legacy of, he was a, he was a great man, a hard worker. He cared about people and yeah, he lived every day to help people and make sure his family and those core people were were, were always in a great place. You know, he would do anything for anyone. And so when you, if you're out there and you're thinking about going into the fire service or police officer or in the military, you're going to have to go through a lot of shit, you know? And so 
having that why to pull from when you're studying, when you're getting screamed at, when you're running these miles, whatever, if you have a why to pull from and say, you know what, if I quit, my wife is going to have to look people in the eyes and say, oh yeah, he quit because uh, he couldn't do push-ups or couldn't, you know, deal with people yelling at him, whatever it is, you know? And so have a why, you know, that's, that's, that's the, what I mean when I say know your why. <clears throat> that's uh, I've never really thought about that. Your wife having to tell somebody why you quit. Cause I, you know, I can imagine, you know, if I had to tell somebody, I'd just lie. You know, I would just be like, Oh, I, you know, this shoulder thing, I fucking couldn't finish. Yeah. You and everybody else. Yeah. Right. But your wife has to go, Oh yeah. I'm married to this huge pussy. <laughs> so that's terrible. But yeah, I, uh, this is something that I have harped on people in my times in the Academy. I would make people my, I got it from my brother. He's the one who taught me this. He had me do it when I was uh, early in my fire service career. He had me write a letter about my why and seal it and put it in my locker. I still have it. I still have a sealed letter that I have not opened because he told me there's some dark days coming, right? There's going to be some hard days coming and you need to be able to fall back on something and remember why, you know, I, uh, not to get too deep into a story, but my why I've told the story, you know, several times. And I remember coming up and my, my brother was from the time he was in his teens, he wanted to be a firefighter, right? He was one of those kids. I thought you told me you want to be a medic. <laughs> he, well, will he was medic I, first. I will fucking fight you right now. <laughs> we can turn this into a fight podcast real quick. <laughs> so he wanted to be a fireman, you know, since we were young and, uh, he got into it and, you know, excelled was, uh, was crushed like everything in life. He did great at, and, uh, he, he became a, uh, a young captain at the, at the time he was the youngest person to, to be promoted to the position of captain within our organization. And, uh, it was, it was huge. Like, dude, he's my fucking hero. I, I looked up to this guy like it was, I still do, but it was amazing. And I would watch my dad like constantly push him constantly. Every time we were all three together, cause me and my brother, and my dad have a really close relationship my dad was constantly telling him like, this is the next step. This is the next thing you do. This is, you have to do this. You have to go do this next. And you have to do, and I would sit back and think, I'm like, fuck dude, like give this fucking guy a break. Like he's crushing it. You know, he's crushing life right now. Like, because every time my dad would talk to me, he would say, Oh, I'm so proud of you. You're doing so good, Jesse. Like everything's so great. And he never like told me, Hey, you know, you need to do this and you need to do that and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, why is he so fucking mean to my brother? <laughs> like this dude's crushing life right now. And I'm just sitting here. And then it hit me like a fucking thunderbolt. It hit me. I was like, oh, fuck. My dad thinks I'm a fucking loser. And yeah, it, you guys were your, you guys were your dad's why. You yeah. know what I mean? And that was his responsibility and that's how he parented you guys. But you know, but it, it was, it crushed me. I, it like hit me. I went, Oh my God, my dad thinks I'm a fucking loser and this is the best that I'll ever do. And that's why he's okay with where I'm at right now, which wasn't a bad place, but it certainly was not the place my brother was in. And he was constantly pushing my brother because he saw that my brother had the potential to do more and be better than I did. And he was okay that I had just made it to the station I was at. And thank God I was there and not in prison. And it was that, that was my turning point. That was when my life absolutely changed and it has been my why since. 
Yeah, and you know, in Dad's defense, he's right. No, I, I mean, as 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 a dad, you know, we're all dads, and as a dad, I mean, we could take this to a whole different world, you know, parenting world, but. And when you talk about your why, you know, my kids, you guys, we were both walking up, we were all walking up the stairs talking about how much of a mental freaking basket case I was in my last fight to win match. And once again, like one of the biggest obstacles for me is figuring out how to navigate that feeling of if I lose, if this happens, if I fail all of the people that it's going to affect, you know, and I always build it up. And then these people are always like, no, like, why are you apologizing? Like you got out there, did this, 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 and this, it was great. But in my mind, this was the first fight that my family was at first fight as a firefighter to where I had brothers and sisters watching at the, at the station, the 40 people at the fight itself. And I lost, it was my first loss, you know, and it, it sucked. You know, I got off the stage and, and I was having a super hard time and I must have apologized to 20 people. You lost by decision. Just to work clear. <laughs> um, but you know, you think of and my, and Brie, once again, shout out to Brie because she always has a way of putting things, but she talked about the courage to put yourself out there, you know, and the courage to put yourself out there became such a life lesson for my kids because it's hard for kids nowadays. You know, they put themselves out there. They're scared to fail. They're scared to do all these things. And then I find myself doing the exact same thing as a 40 year old man. And so putting myself out there, cause I'll do another fight to win next, next month, next month, just because now it became more than just winning, losing, getting in shape for certain things. Um, I don't know if you guys heard that. And this is, our, there's our first podcast. They're rookies. I don't know what they're doing. Mics and stuff, but, uh, it was a very difficult for me to fight that fear of letting everyone down. You know, that's, that's such a huge issue that I have. It's been an issue in my, I'll say my career, my short career. But same thing, you know, I get on a, I get on a roof and train training, believe it or not, is the most anxiety filled portion of my job solely because I think about, fuck, if I, if I, if I don't cut this whole ride, if I don't do this, you know, chief's going to be looking at me like, what the fuck is Madrid doing? You know, captain hunt's going to be looking at me like, what the fuck is going on with this guy? You know? And so it's solely based off of what other people think. And yeah, if you're a new guy coming in, you have to want to do it for yourself, but make sure you have a why because when times get tough, that's what you'll pull from is that why. And so for me with all this stuff, I'm a super head case and I fight through it, but I'm 40 years old. I don't fight through this stuff for myself anymore. I fight through this stuff so I can tell my son, my daughters one day, like, Hey, like I've been through this, you know, I know exactly what you're feeling. I know exactly how scared you are. You know, I know exactly. And my dad was a tough guy, LA County Sheriff, all that stuff. And he never once spoke to me about fear and dealing with fear and dealing with emotions of any type. And once again, we're all tough guys, but that was a huge part for me is like, we stuff it all down, you know, we stuff it down deep inside and then we take it out on our wife or whoever, you know? And, and so when we talk about navigating those tough things, those tough emotions, those tough thoughts, those negative thoughts, that's a huge part of the fire service in my opinion. And guys need to get far better at it because guys lack skills and lack certain parts that they need to be good at because they're scared of looking dumb, you know, looking dumb, looking like they don't know what they're doing and risk going to an actual incident and looking dumb on the incident instead of looking dumb in training, you know? So once again, when we're talking about all you people out there that are listening, you know, when we're all doing these things, like we need to be better as a whole at being more supportive and not giving a shit what everyone thinks, but what we're able to do and make sure we're able to do our job. You know, yeah, we talked about it uh, 
previously, but uh, I would rather fuck it up a thousand times on the training ground than once on the fire ground. So I like what you said, though. <clears throat> we need to change. We need a culture shift, right? And that culture shift needs to be not only in a million other areas, but one of the culture shifts that we need to work on as people who are dedicated to the profession and put their heart and soul into it is supporting others while training. We have this, we have this weird deal where, you know, we just put our shells on and make the probie dress out and then go shit on a Molly trains, or we go over there and nobody like people get nervous, right? People get nervous because they don't want to fuck it up in front of everybody. Well, why don't they want to fuck it up in front of everybody? Cause everybody's going to fucking jump on them like a pack of jackals and tear them apart for fucking it up. If you knew that if you fucked it up, three brothers were going to step up and help you get it right. You'd be much more apt to grab that hose, take the first rep, get in there, fuck it up on the training ground. All right. Instead of fade to the back or pray for an EMS call so you can leave. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you from my position, it's guys like you, Carlos and, and you, Jesse, especially that are, that have made that change, at least at our department. And I know there's more guys out there in the world, just like you guys that are making that change. Cause you guys are the first ones to jump in, pull the line, force the door, do whatever we're doing. And then you're also the first one to step up and help your brother if they're having trouble with something. So, and, and, you know, I, I get it. Once again, we talk about it a bunch of times, but our department's a tough place. You know, we're pretty hard on each other, but it doesn't come from a brotherhood standpoint. It comes from a, sadly, like, yes, I'm glad that he fucked up. Because now if I fuck up. No, I don't look like such a slap dick. No. And that's right. No matter what anyone says out there, there are very few guys that talk shit because they're just having fun. You know who you are, and I love you guys. But the rest talk shit because they know, oh, well, I'm not going to go today. I'm not going to cut a hole today. Because I'm, I've been here for eight years or five years, so I don't have to do that anymore. I thought you were talking about Gary again. Oh no, I don't want to talk about that guy. Fuck that guy. Um, just kidding, Gary. Love you, man. But uh, but no, like that that culture. We talk, you know, fire service once again. It gets played out. The whole, you know, we need a culture shift. We need, well, it's true, but there's not enough guys yet that are willing to put themselves out there to shift that culture. I I would disagree with you on that because again, I I look at things from a different different viewpoint, right? I see guys like you. I see guys like Jesse. I see guys like Gary, you know, um, all our entire crew downtown on B shift, uh, pretty much across shift lines at this point too. I see those guys on every shift at every station that are now starting to like, they're just popping up like weeds, man. I, I feel like I'm seeing more and more and more of them. So kudos to, to you yeah. guys for fostering that, you know, it's not, it's not my level that's doing that. It's your guys' level that's doing that. And it's awesome to see firemen that are starting to live up to the oath. It, it, it is really, really, really cool for me. You guys are obviously, you know, instrumental and, and huge impacts on my career in the fire service. But a couple of people I feel like, you know, I want to talk about for a second is even like Mitch Ferris. A guy like Mitch Ferris, you know, he's, he's a little guy, big heart. We're going to bleep that out. Yeah, little guy, big heart. And I know he's kind of a product of both of you as well, but you know, there's been a couple of times where I've been doing truck stuff training and just wasn't getting it, you know? And while everyone had their two cents about what I should be doing and how I should be doing it and, and not even knowing that shit, I've, I've cut a hole on burning buildings before and they haven't, and they've been here for eight years, but they're willing to say, Hey, do it this way, do it that way. Talking shit. And Mitch was just 
you know, he was, he was very supportive, very, you know, patient and just, he knew, but, but that's what it takes is guys who knew we talk about parenting and it's like, okay, my dad did this. My dad, I hated my dad for this. Well, then why are you doing it to your kids? You know, why have you hated it so much? Are you doing it to your kids? Uh, Cause it makes them tough. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's, that, that's where we came from. That was our background, you know, but it's, it's, it's 100% the same thing. You know, we have, and not talking about any older firefighters cause they have, especially at our department, a bunch of guys with tons of knowledge, but there's a lot of guys that hated the way things were done and quote unquote their day that just are, are perpetuating that cycle, you know? And so to change the culture and truly change it, yeah, that's got to change. We can't hate something that our, our dad or captain did to us. And then I get a probie and I'm treating him the same way. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Well, probies are stupid, so they deserve it. I'm yeah, kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. <laughs> I agree with you a thousand percent. We need a culture change. And if we can be the ones who foster that culture change, and I agree with chief, I, we are seeing it. especially in our department. And I know it's happening in surrounding departments because of the regional style Academy that we do. We are fostering this change. We are embracing it and we are promoting it. And in the next 10 years, you are going to see a different Northern Nevada fire service from these guys getting a voice and, and being able to step up to the plate and do their thing. One of the things I wanted to circle back before we close out today and talk about when we talked about brotherhood and we talked about this area, right? Being kind of not, you know, you show up at a firehouse in New York. Oh, you're a fireman on the West Coast. Come on in. Check it out. Blah, blah, blah. Or you're out in Philly or Boston. Hey, can we check out the station? You know, and we've done it, right? We've gone to San Francisco even. Just walked up to a station and said, hey, can we check it out? You know, and they had a cool Atlas life-saving machine on the on the wall. Granted, you were wearing a t-shirt with an Atlas on it, so it was... Extra bitching. It was super cool. But these guys were super awesome, right? Showed us their night watch station, showed us all the, all the different, you know, things in their station, super opening. And you're right. It's not really that way right now. But I think some of the things that we're putting in place, tactics on tap, right, is an amazing bridge that we are helping build to break down these walls. We've seen 11 different departments represented at these, you know, hour long mini training sessions, breaking bread every third Wednesday of the month, lamppost pizza, South Reno, be there, be square. So this is one of those things where we are seeing these walls break down and we might not see them break down today, tomorrow, this week, next, this month, this year, but they're going to break down soon if we keep on this path. And I'm glad that you brought that up and I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Having nothing to do with you guys, you know, I've given you guys your shout outs already. I don't need to give any more, but Hortons and hunt be bringing tactics on tap to town has been, is, is going to be, I hope even bigger than it already is. And I say, I hope because some of my best friends work at other departments. And when we talk about fire stuff, you can almost feel the awkwardness because both of us want to be like, Oh no, we do it better than you. You know, we do it better than you. you the know, only difference is you're right. Yeah. We, we do do it better. <laughs> you know. And so, but with that being said, you know, this tactics on tap should be the thing that brings everyone together in the fire service and says, you know what? We can all learn from everyone. You know, a two-year guy can learn from a, obviously a 15-year guy, but vice versa. You know, we all have something to offer, but the whole ego of, because there's dorks at your fire station, if you're listening, whatever station you're at, there's dorks and there's punks and there's bitches at your fire stations, just like ours. So with that being said, it's, it, we're all in the same boat, you know? And so when it there, comes to learning, there's also dogs, dogs, Horton dog, Madrid dog. Um, look at that video. If you don't know what we're talking about, it's awesome. But, uh, but yeah, so tactics on tap show up for whatever reason it's been on freaking B shift the past two months. Um, but uh, I'll be at every single one more just to meet guys and, and learn from people. 
and get rid of the whole our department versus your department outlook on things in the fire service. Yeah. The whole rivalry thing. I mean, it, it's fun and all. And, and I, you know, I joke around just as much as everybody else. We do it better here. Here's the long and short of it. We all do it. We all do it. Yep. We all do the same thing. So we all need to be on the same page and do it great. A hundred percent. And it doesn't matter. I, everybody wants to roast certain departments like, Oh, they don't do shit there. Oh, we do this. We do that. No bullshit. Everyone you've ever looked at that says I'm a firefighter has done it. They might, some may have done it more than others, but they've done it. And they all signed up and said the same thing when they swore their oath. So they're all willing to do it as well. So as long as we can foster this environment of breaking down these barriers, I think it's going to be amazing. So, yeah, uh, just to circle back to something when Carlos said that I wanted to be a medic, um, it made me think of a funny story right after I went through medic school, like right after I graduated and uh, got signed off and I was like a standalone medic, you know? We went out to the bar one night and, uh, it was me and Jay and a couple of our other buddies were trying to scam on some girls and were stuff. Were you 21 at this point in time? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, so we're all hanging out and, uh, I'm talking to some chick and, and Jesse came over and started shooting the shit and, and, uh, she'd asked me what I do for work. And I never told anybody I work for the fire department. I never said that to anyone. I always said I work for the city and that if they pressed me really hard, I'd say I was a garbage man, which is pretty much true. But, um, anyway, Jesse thought he was doing me a favor and he's like, Oh, he's a, he's a medic. He's a paramedic. And I was so fucking mad. I pulled him aside afterwards and said, don't ever tell anybody I'm a paramedic again. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know, like you had to go through a year of school and blah, 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 all this, you know? And I'm like, dude, I am a fireman. That girl just <laughs> called me a nerd to my face. <laughs> I am a fireman. But yeah, it, it was, just, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't in the fire service. I didn't fucking know, you know, <laughs> but that's a true story. It's crazy. But I want people, you know, that the point of that story is be proud, dude, you're a fireman. Be, be proud of it. Be proud of it. But don't just be proud of it. Cause you got a cool t-shirt or a sticker or a license plate. Yeah. It's not a pickup line. No master your craft. Yeah, I had tattoos before I came here, obviously. Okay. So don't, 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 don't think I'm a firefighter who got tattoos just because I, I wanted to look like the calendar guys from Reno. Yeah. Shout out Reno fire. <laughs> Listen, be good at your craft. That's what's badass about being a fireman to but be you, able to do the job. You talked about closing and before we close, you know, the why, it, this isn't a fire specific thing. Uh, if you're out there and you're listening and you're a, whatever it is, a, a high school baseball coach, a teacher, a lawyer, it doesn't make a difference for you to grind through life. You're going to have to have a why at some point in time. Otherwise you're going to quit. I guarantee you're going to quit or you may not quit, but you may not get your full potential out of what you need to do. And so regardless of what, what facet of life you come from, what job you have, Think about that. Think about that and think about why do I do what I do? You know what I mean? Why do I do this? Why do I quit? Why am I negative? Why am I going through that? You know, cause that, why, if you can answer that truly, it, it will change your life. You know, it'll change, it'll make you a different person. And if you have kids, even more so, even more so not to be cliche and my kids are my why, of course they should be your why, but now take it further and say, okay, well, what are you going to do differently? So their lives are better because of some way that you affected them by doing and not by saying, you know, there's was, I, I think I've told you both the Bruce Lee quote, right. About parenting and about wanting to stop telling our kids what to do and show them how to be. And that hits so hard. hits so hard because if you can, if you can live every day and say, you know what, I'm going to show, this is the type of person I am. And I'm going to show 
that I care about this and I'm going to show how hard I work. Your life will change 100%. You know, our job, we don't make a ton of money, you know, but that's like you said, you touched on it earlier. That's not why we became firefighters. You know, I became a firefighter. My why, what I wrote down in my sealed envelope was I wanted my kids to look at me, how I used to look at my dad, like a damn superhero. Every time he walked in the door, you know, I want my kids to be proud when they tell their, you know, whoever their doctor friends, dad, you know, whoever it is that, no, my dad's a firefighter. You know, I'm proud of the fact that my dad does what he does, you know? And so firefighter or not cop or not, you know, first responder or not your, why will change your life. So everyone should do that. Write it down, write, you know, seal an envelope, whatever you want to do, but have a why it's, it's important. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, I think that's a good point. Jay, you got anything else? No, I think, uh, I think that's going to do it. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in for another episode of the undisclosed agents podcast. If you know someone, or if you want to be featured on this podcast, please reach out. We're looking for as many guests as we can get to talk about anything that they want to talk about. Give us the topics you want to talk about. Email me at info at Hortons info at Hortons Right on. Thank you, Carlos. I appreciate you being here today, man. Thank you guys for having me. All right. We're out. You should be a monster. <laughs>